0: This is Sea Stories. Lives touched by the sea. Okay, Okay, we're just
1: outside the harbour now. We've turned the engine off. And as always, it's always very choppy just coming out of of the Mount Harbour. There's there's lads at the end of the pier fishing for their lunch, as always. We give their lines a good berth, good wide berth. And there are about five other boats out. Okay, so let's see what way we head. It's already ebbing, As I think. It, it, yeah. it turns an hour before high water. Well that's when we head for the Bailey. Yep.
0: This is Sea Stories. Lives Touched by the Sea, a radio documentary series for East Coast FM.
1: You're listening to Sea Stories, and today my sailing companion is Paul Cunningham, Marine Electric Specialist from Dundee. Many are familiar with fire drills in the buildings and where they work, but for sailors, I suppose a man overboard drill is the equivalent. We know we should do it, and today we'll do that with Paul later on in the programme. But first we hear how Paul was suddenly presented with a career choice to keep a well-paying job or do something that he always wanted to do.
0: Sea Stories, lives touched by the sea.
1: As a kid growing up in, in uh, Dunleary and Daukey area, you, know, you were never far from the sea and no, never we, far from boats.
2: No, never. We were always, even in the, in the sea, we lived down Dunleary near Monkstown. Sea Point was pretty much where we hung out. We were very small. After that, my father had a small rowing boat. His brother built rowing boats in Daukey. Um So it was pretty much they always had boats in the family, small, clinker built, 11, 12 foot. And um, any opportunity I got, off out and away rowing with no engine um, no life jackets no hint of any kind of safety at all you got into trouble you sorted it out yourself it was your own fault and that's
1: where it, that's where it kind of came from well, I suppose that I'll sort of uh, start I means you didn't have a fear of the sea but, but the voyage to the Canaries as a sort of a kickoff for the sailing world is uh, quite an undertaking to begin with
2: well it's completely different um, there's a lot of Probably it's not just go down jump in the boat and away you go there's quite a lot of planning involved in it um planning on how to do it to get there provisioning the boat itself had to be a lot of work had to be done on the boat to make it ready for a project like that really it's a, the boat we went on was what would be regarded as a mediterranean charter boat really not the best boat to head out and something like that for but you take what you get and that's what we did. That was in 2004, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, 2004 that was. Yeah, yeah
1: and I remember the evening you set sail with the sun going down. You were I stood on the rocks at uh, there where Joyce's tower is just down from that and saw you sail off down the Irish Sea. So what were you thinking that day? We're going where? Yeah. <laughs> that was about it. It was
2: it kind of it's one of those things I probably did without really thinking much about it. It was just a case of Seemed like a good idea, and then let's go for it. I probably thought if I, if I think too much about this, I mightn't do it, and the opportunity will be gone. Was, I saw it as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, so
1: let's do it. So, okay, let's follow that voice a little bit, just to talk about your bats from the fire, because that was September, if I remember correctly, and the sun was setting. It was dark; it was mm-hmm. getting dark as you headed down the Irish Sea Yep. And by dawn, I think the wind had come up.
2: It had. By dawn, we were down past the Tusker Rock, the lighthouse, out off Wexford. Um, because of the way the seas run, we had waves coming from one direction and a second direction, uh, which the skipper described as a confused sea. Um, that meant that it was very difficult to sail the boat as you wanted to sail it. It was getting worse and worse, and we decided to run for Ross lair in shelter overnight, as we thought. Um, we got into Rulaer, <coughs> the uh, we got shelter in there, there's nothing in Ross lair except a wall and shelter stayed in there overnight, planned to leave the next day, weather still hadn't improved um, that was the Sunday and on Sunday night, the trawlers were some of the trawlers coming in and we checked with them to see what the weather was like out there and they said it's not too bad as long as you're not going south They said where are you going to? In Lisbon, in Portugal oh, I wouldn't go there So, the next day we did we had somebody waiting, had booked flights from Lisbon airport So, on the crew we had no they missed their flights or else we went. Always the wrong reason to leave in a hurry. Yeah,
1: good. the goes a r- r- rule broken for cruising sailors. Absolutely. Yeah. Most people are familiar with fire drills in their place of work. And I suppose at sea, the equivalent is man-overboard drill, something we should all do every so often. So that's what we'll be doing later on with Paul. But first we hear how Paul is suddenly presented with a career choice to keep a well-paying job or do something he always wanted to do. I've talked to a lot of people about uh, what got them... To change our lives, what was the, the, the event? Was it for, was it a crisis for you, or was it like a an epiphany on the on the voyage to somewhere? I think before um, when I, before
2: I worked for the multinational, in, 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 I had a, was in the situation where I was probably in a midlife crisis. I'd done all the usual stuff, um, bought the silly sports car, and all the rest, all the th- silly things we do in midlife probably was a bit older than midlife but I pretended I wasn't and then from then it was really nothing in that um maybe the journey was an epiphany it certainly has it certainly has decided which way my my life and career has gone since um initially it was just seen you know this would be a living then just to do this work was a living then the electronics and the electrics which I had a lot of experience and comms previous to that but it then I got, I'd been bitten by the bug once, and that was it, so I, I bought the boat that we had sailed down to the Canaries on on the basis that if it survived four idiots on it, or, well, the skipper wasn't, he was good, three idiots and the skipper,
1: it could probably survive anything. Tell me about your life before you left. You know, what, for you, what was the rat race doing to you?
2: Um, well, I was working in a company, working in communications, um, which I enjoyed. Um, it was a good company to work for. Good people there, good friends there. Um, we had the whole 9/11, which led to a, a world slump, I suppose. IT was one of the first ones to get hit. So basically, one Friday morning we were called in, and 50% of us were made redundant. And that stage was, what do I do now? I suppose I didn't stop to think really. I just assumed, as most people do, you just carry on what you've been doing before. So. I worked in sales, IT sales, so I went working for probably one of the largest PC manufacturers, um, tele sales environment. Enjoyed it, very, very good money, but realised after a few months I was bored stiff, and that seemed to be the problem. It's, you can keep doing the same thing, but it becomes boring, and then you wonder why you're going, you going to do this for the rest of your life just because the money's good. So I took at that stage, I took time out just to work on the, on, on the boat we were going on with the owner as crew. He was doing some corporate um, charter business at the time and I was just brought on as, as unpaid crew. And that's when I got bitten by the boat, I suppose.
1: You'll just drift down on top for like this. Have you, got, have you got a boat up ready? I have. Brilliant. We're doing our man overboard, drill, and we're using a fender which is the thing you put between you and the Marine to stop scratching the hull. And we've just gone about, the boat is sort of heaved to, which means we're just sailing very slowly down on the fender, which is our man overboard person. And we're going to pick him up now in about
2: 30
1: seconds. seconds. Um, This would be what you would have to do in a man overboard
2: situation, is get the boat back around slowly, get down, get them, first of all, get hold of them, which is not that easy when you're sailing. It's much easier under engine, but uh, this is a practice that should be Really done on a regular basis. John is out on the rail with a boat hook, ready to catch it. I'm going to try and bring him right up onto it. And I think we have got it. Hopefully it's a textbook job. And he's got it, and he's got it back on the boat. Nice one, John.
1: Well, I like the idea of uh, just throwing the wheel over, put her in, like, with the jib-backed. It slows you down and allows you to go straight back onto it, That's and a quick right. response, creep forward, yeah. creep forward onto it. Yeah, when that, I mean, that was a good test, that really worked, yeah. you know. Yeah, and this boat heaves too well, which is a yeah. good sign for the designer of the hull. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more main in. The yeah, way. yeah, I'll take it in. The wind. Where are you Here, uh, here. Where's the main. That's the main sheet. Yeah, there, yeah. Just there, here's the. In terms of the uh, work on a boat, marine electrical work, how's that different from ha- domestic and houses and you know people maybe might be, uh, appreciate the difference in, in what you need on a boat?
2: Yeah, well, the first difference is you 're not connected to a utility company like the SB. so whatever you 've got, you have to make it yourself somehow so either you 've got a generator on big boats they 'll have all the mod cons and smaller ones they may have some solar panels or a wind generator which can be useful for charging the batteries it becomes very insular in a way you have to mind your power usage you can't be at home like you leave lights on and maybe not look after as well as you should do that on a boat and you're going to run out of power and you'll have pretty much nothing so you tend to be very aware of your environment like that and aware of the environment on the boat as well by looking at energy consumption even you know if you boil, boil a kettle to do one thing you tend to Reuse the water for something yes, else. Yeah.
1: It's like stopping the tap when you're doing your teeth. Every it, time you wash your toothbrush, stop the tap everything. That's the exactly a power,
2: yeah. Exactly. Even yeah. when you're doing long distance <coughs> like going to the Canaries for example, uh, showers are pretty much non existent. And when you do have a shower, it's a luxury. That's what most people talk about when they get into a, a port is
1: the quality of the shower. <laughs> and, and and giving thanks to Johnson and Johnson for the baby wipes here. Yeah. <laughs> When you started this business as you said it was a lot of it was to do with, with uh, pleasure craft right yeah. and and when you set up and to now there's been a great change in the economy in Ireland there's been a great change in the your customer base's fortunes and and how has the business changed I think
2: people are are not as quick to just throw money at a problem and assuming assume that will fix it now it's more talk to people about their problems and they'll come and talk to you about it people take much longer to make decisions and they take—they want to talk directly to people to see if they feel good working with them and if that will solve their problem the internet has been uh, massive changes we have now with the internet and buying product and so on but at the end of the day when you're on the internet you're buying a box and depending who the supplier of the box is and depending how willing they are to talk to you on the internet or on the phone that decides how, whether it's going to work properly for you or not I think a lot of people have been stung like that where they bought something and it doesn't work for them and they can't really get any help anymore. Yeah,
1: there seems to be a lot of, of that.
0: You're listening to Sea Stories, lives touched by the sea.
1: In speaking in this series to lots of people who have accomplished longer voyages, they talk about being at sea at night, they talk about being being away from land, being away from the madness of emails and phones, right? H- How has your experience been about that?
2: I think it's great. I think that's what that's what we're... I suppose designed to do to be self-sufficient in a way but we become more reliant on modern communications and staying in contact when you're out of contact you're longer in contact with people you've no longer got news coming in you've also no longer got stress coming in as well a lot of the outside stress comes from the media being in contact all the time having to catch the news on the hour reading emails checking the papers on your iphone or whatever all that's gone It is creeping into some of the very big boats, but for different reasons. But when you're out, you're on your own. There's also another thing that happens, I think, when you're on your own out there. You're on your own and there's nobody can help you out. It's up to you to look after yourself. However, if you get in trouble, as we did two years ago up in Carlingford Lock and had to issue a Mayday, you find that there is a big machine in the background that works very, very well in helping out that there are people there who are professionals who are trained to help out and they really do. They know their stuff. It's the ty- it's almost the law of the sea. You, Anybody in distress is helped. There's no excuse for not helping anybody else. There's no selfishness about it. You're all out there ser- sharing the, the same space and one day they might need you or you might need them.
1: When we talked to Mark at Lifeboat it came across that there's a, just a camaraderie and there's help. There's no blame for somebody doing something. There's just about getting on and helping you. There's a really fantastic ethos around um, that sort of thing at the sea
2: there is and it even down to the fact that the likes of Mark who, who's, who's on the lifeboat he's not paid for that no. nobody is paid in, the, in the, the the RNLI and that's I think the way it's the way of the sea we were initially there to help out just because we're all mariners and that's the way he did it. And it's still, that tradition is still alive and well and it, I hope it can, long continues.
0: This is Sea Stories. Lives touched by the sea. A radio documentary series for East Coast FM.
1: That wind's off again. Is it? Yeah. Uh, Will you make it in on this tack no? You may have to haul it a bit. maybe. Maybe hold the sails in a little bit, just That's tighten, thinking, tighten yeah. up, But uh, yeah, there you are. Yep. Yeah, uh, it's going around on that. One. Hold the jib as well. Yeah. That jib should be okay. It should be three plus. Ah, yeah.
2: Go around. I'd love to do a circumnavigation when I retire. Yeah, I would. I'd like to do that. My partner though said, um, "That's okay, but we're not going across the Pacific." I don't know why. It's just something about the Pacific seems to frighten her. So it's I think so we will try small steps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so big. Um, she'd probably get. It. I said she'd love the Med. Uh, not much wind though. It's no, no. Well, is, Yeah. Well, our out Croatia, it's pretty good. Yeah, they got a lot of wind. Yeah. A few boats have left on their Oh, I know, in
1: Croatia. So if you look, looking towards the city, looking towards Dublin, it's grey, uh, squally weather, white tops in the waves, good strong wind blowing that spray off the top of the waves, and dark and forbidding. Now if you turn around and look the other way towards Derry and Kalini Bay. The sky's brightening. There's some blue. There's only two large cruising boats out today. Us and another one over here beside us. And way over there, there's a flock of Optimists, little tiny boats, the starter boats for kids sailing, and they're racing and they're they're oblivious of the weather. I mean, they're they're well looked after. There's uh, you know uh, safety boats with them and everything. But it's uh, it's a great baptism for them to start off sailing like this. Four six. Uh, yeah. And this wind has blown up in a, in a matter of hours. It's, it's gone from almost flat calm as you walk down the marina to now it's choppy with quite top waves. What sort of angle are we at, would you think? 25, 25 degrees. 25 degrees. We're energetically turning the wheel to keep her straight for the entrance of the harbour. We're coming to the choppy book that's always here when you come in. The end of this epic voyage across Dublin Bay. Covenant Bay is a great facility though, isn't it really? It is, yeah. it's magnificent. It's designed yeah. <laughs> especially for...
2: Well, it's even a great facility, it's the harbour. We were on that boat. I was out commissioning an autopilot on the, a boat there, and we were able to do it in the harbour. Yeah. And there was another boat, Desert Star, and he was tacking back and forth in the harbour with a crew, teaching him how to do tacking. did about six tacks across the harbour, turned down and came back and did
1: another four, five or six. Great, yeah. It's great, it's a great facility. We're approaching the mouth of the harbour now, maybe a couple of hundred yards out, and we're heading back in before the rain gets us any wetter. And we did, decided we did a man overboard drill, which just gave us a bit of practice in the conditions. But that's normal on a day like this. The wind picked up, so now we're looking at about 10, well, 15 knots of wind, and we're heading back in to the marina to put the kettle on. Something you can't do in ocean sailing. We've been sailing today with Paul Cunningham, a marine electrical and electronics specialist. Paul took a chance in life and set up his own very successful marine communications and electronics business in Dunleary. If you want to hear more programmes and clips from other programmes in the series, head over to our website, seastories.ie. I'm John Murphy. Join me next time on Sea Stories.
0: Next time on Sea Stories.
1: When I was walking here, there'd be two Freddy's here at 7 o'clock in the morning. There was at least 500 dockers working on the docks. Genie. And and the, the, the main thing here was, they weren't employed permanently. If there's, say, three ships the Jordan and I, they were looking for crews. Whoever got over there and got into the read room, you had a chance of getting a job. But if you were late, if you missed it earlier, Freddie, the jobs would be gone when you got over. No, so this is okay. the way it was. Yeah. It was a hungry time. You had to go and get the work.
0: Sea Stories, Lives Touched by the Sea was presented by John Murphy and produced by Pat Hannan. Find out more information about Sea Stories go to facebook.com forward slash Sea Stories Ireland or follow Sea Stories on Twitter at Sea Stories IRL. It was a 21st Century Vox production for East Coast FM and was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with funding from the television licence fee.